I want you to open your Bible to the book of Proverbs. Now, before I give you the title or before I read the verse, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Now, maybe these questions are because of the way I think or when I'm alone with the Lord in preparation for how the Lord can use me to say something. Maybe this is just the way I think. It seems like I always think in the same way about things say the same things a lot, different ways of saying the same things. I know that God is preparing us in the last days for the coming of the Lord. And I have to believe that. I believe it's a time of God doing a deeper work, doing his divine work in our hearts. Now, knowing that and thinking like that, I ask myself the questions which I want to ask you, which inspires a message. Again, what is it that holds us back? Now, I know, I know, I am sure this is true, that in the many years you've been here or anywhere, there's been times you've been convicted. Would I be right? You've been convicted about your life or deficiencies in your life or maybe your unwillingness in a lot of things that you heard that the Lord said or that your heart, your conscience convicted you of. Things you know you should do, you've heard that you should do it. It bothers you that you're not doing it, but you keep not doing it. And this is years later. You know, when you came to the Lord, you came with a sincere heart. You know, you asked the Lord to save you and you know that you received him. But it still seems like after all these years, not a whole lot of change has taken place in your life. The things that troubled you then still trouble you. The things that bothered you then still bother you. My grip on this plow that God gave us is not like it ought to be. I'm not talking about being lost. I'm talking about how I'm supposed to live this life. Maybe people have no interest in spiritual matters. And if they got saved or they came to the Lord, then that's it for me. I'm done. I can stay as I am. And yet the Bible doesn't teach that. I ask you a question. Why is it that we don't sometimes, what is it keeps us from being the way we ought to be? What's holding us back? What really does hold us back from being liberated and free? You know, Jesus came to do that. And sometimes we really want to get involved, but something restrains us. What is it? What is this? Something I'm trying to define that seems to let us know we're, we're never going to change. You're going to be like this when they put you in the box. And I think, no, that's not what God wants us to be. We're supposed to walk in newness of life. Why is it that we're hindered? And I think I know the answer. It's a word we're all familiar with. It's found in Proverbs 25. It's called dross. D-R-O-S-S. For lack of a better title, and I'm not good at giving titles to messages, I'm just going to call the message Dross. I was going to name it Boss Dross. You know, that's kind of redneckish and corny to me, but uh, I'm going to call it something like that because Dross, by its very definition, it's an Old Testament word. It's a New Testament principle, but it's in the Old Testament as a word. Dross is a very real thing in too many people's lives. And it really does quench the spirit because you let it. It does have a way of ruling over us because we let it. But in Proverbs 25, 4, dross, 
This is what it says. Take away the dross from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. Wouldn't it be good to sit around in the evening with six or seven, eight or nine people and sit around and just have a conversation about what do you think is meant by that? You're a spiritually minded person. What do you suppose that means? Take away the dross from the silver and there comes forth a vessel for the finer. Now, I would assume that we're the vessel and that when we came to the Lord, when the Holy Spirit convicted us and we asked the Lord to save us, when he brought us to the Lord, we were not refined. Would you agree with me that we were not just ready to go? But what was brought to the Lord when I came to the Lord, everything that is necessary to please God was in all of this. It's just there's a lot of hindrances. Would you agree? I want you to stay with me now. I see us as silver in its earliest stages, early state is called ore. It's just a big clunk, a big glob of angular, pointed, dull-looking parts. It's just a big something somebody dug out of a hillside somewhere, but they were really glad about it because they could see flecks of silver. Oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. But you can't put that thing around your neck because it'll hold you down and you couldn't put it against the door to hold a door because you'd stub your foot against it and you cut your leg. I mean, it's not much use, but there's silver in it. Now, the Bible said there's somebody called a finer or a refiner. This was interesting. One commentator says that a finer is a smelter. He's the one who melts the ore to get the stuff off of it. And what he does is make fine what was not fine. He finds and makes better. But a refiner is simply one who takes the impurities out, the one who deals with the problem, and we know who that is. Here's what it says. If you will submit yourself to the work of Jesus Christ in cleansing you, if you will yield yourself to him, if you will quit holding back, because the devil can't make you stay back. You've got a will to stay back. If you will yield yourself to the Lord, a work, a true, deep, spiritual work will take place, the end of which will please God with your life. You no longer dread going to before the great throne of God and him saying, why, after all those years, all those opportunities, why did you not, why did you hold back, why? He'll tell you why, and I'm going to tell you why this morning, because of dross. The stuff that's not pure, impurities. The stuff that hangs on us and followed us around. You see, dross, being an Old Testament word, dross has to do with Refuse, waste. It's a waste product. It's not a very pretty word. It's not a very nice word because in one case it has to do with excrement and that's pretty bad. But God uses words like that. God uses words that we don't even want to talk about or define because it's so yuck. But God uses words like that to define us. Like, your righteousness, your idea of what God ought to want, and the way you're going to do your thing, your righteousness before God is as filthy rags. 
And it's not a very pleasant definition of what that is. But that's the words that God uses to define us in his sight when we're not yielded to his way and his work. We go about doing things our way, assuming that God's going to accept us because I'm really doing it with all my heart. And it's not what he wants you to do at all. Oh, it's noble and good, I guess. People get blessed and all of that, but not what he wants. You see, I would define silver. You're a vessel, and it's full of silver, but the silver doesn't come out because the vessel needs work. I would define silver as your faithfulness, as that which renders you faithful, because that's how you please God. That willingness to do what God said and not do something else. That's the silver that's in your life. This is what God wants, and this is what he wants to bring forth. Something that causes us to be faithful. Something that shines in his presence, that pleases him. Because he said, this is what the refiner will use to make his vessels, to make things the way he wants it. He's not going to take just some old clunk that is unwilling to be heated and dealt with and think he's going to send it to some missionary field. He's going to submit it to a local work. You're going to sit, you're going to listen, you're going to hear. You're going to think and you're going to be convicted and your conscience is going to bear witness to a truth. And then God will challenge you. Are you willing to do that? Because you see, the things that says, I don't know if I'm ready for that is dross. That's what dross is. That's the kind of stuff that just says, I don't know that I can do all of that yet. But we know this, that silver needs to be refined. Because if you don't submit it to whatever this great furnace that God has or this melting pot, this wherever the silver is melted, if we don't submit ourselves to whatever that is, then we're never going to be much different than what we are. And chances are, you will never be used of God to accomplish his purposes. You will only be a member of a church. That is, you were faithful in attendance, you went, you sang, and you're hoping that gets you in heaven. But that's your way, not his way. His way is to bring you to that church, to teach you, so that the eyes of your heart become enlightened. So that you as a cluttered soul can begin to see rays of light that God wants that he makes you know you can be like that. All you have to do is be willing. But dross, dross is that attachment that the world has put to us. See, I told you we talk about it every week. Same old, same old. And the things of this world have so attached themselves to so many of us, we just can't let go, we can't give in, we just can't let God do what he wants to do. See, dross, dross is attitude, an attitude based on experience. I think that's just too hard. You ever heard anybody say that? And maybe you've ever said it. You hear a sermon, you said, that's too hard. Well, what is it? What is it about you that measured what was said to say that in light of what I heard, that's too hard or too much? Was the cross hard? Or you better believe it was hard. We're supposed to consider him. I don't know. I think I, I don't think I'm ready for that. Who said you're not ready for it? 
See, that I'm not ready for that is the words of dross. That's the stuff that's still in your life as a contaminant, as an impurity, things that spot us. Remember, Paul said, pure religion undefiled is this, that a man keep himself unspotted from the world. Because those spots are things that cover. They're blemishes. Nobody wants a piece of a shiny silver something with spots and blemishes and crevices and creases and dirty looking stuff in it. God wouldn't want it to be like that. So there's this purity work that God is doing in our life. Turn to Malachi 3. This is what the Lord is doing. Now, Malachi 3, the last book in the Old Testament, in verse 3, talks about dross. What if I told you this morning that dross is a sign of weakness in your life? It's real. But the fact that it controls and you can't get away from it means that it's stronger than you are. You're weak, it's strong. What if I told you that if you were bitter against somebody and you wouldn't forgive, didn't God say forgive? But you got hurt so bad, even though it was 30 years ago or 30 minutes ago, you got hurt so bad that you can't forgive. You're owned by whatever problem you had. It owns you. You're controlled by what somebody did or what somebody said. They master you. They're stronger than you are. You're weak. They're strong. You know you should say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, but somehow you can't get your mouth to say that. You tend to hold it in. And something called dross begins to cloud out the light of God in your life. And instead of being free, you're aware of freedom, but you're not living free. Something's wrong. Something is occupying you. Your flesh is weak. You can't say yes to God because you can't forget what happened to you last year. Some people can't forgive themselves. I did it again. I do it again. I keep doing the same thing. There's just no hope for me. Whatever you gave into is stronger than you are. It masters you. You're a servant to that. It lords it over you. Your attitude. The thing that convicts you when you're in trouble. I know I, I, I got to deal with that. That's your master. Jesus isn't. That is. That's dross. That's the stuff that keeps you from being what God wants. Y'all hear me? That's what controls us. Now, here I am harping on dress again. You can sit here and be perfectly fine this morning, look all that. But when you get out and go to school tomorrow, man, you're racy looking. And you could never tell me that your heart doesn't somehow say something to you. And you say, well, I'm going to wear it anyway. Because other people might think you're not cool. And you're ruled by cool. Cool's your master. You'll deny God to be cool. You're welcome. It's just things like that control us. It's hard for us to be nice and kind when we're having a bad day. Well, I'm just not in the mood. Well, then you're ruled by a bad day. Jesus doesn't rule your life. He's not Lord of your life. Bad day is Lord of your life. Your attitude is your master. What somebody said or did is your master. 
that poor soul in front of you at the traffic light talking on their little cell phone. Let the light turn red again and you didn't move. You are so... They own you. All it takes is for devil to flick a little bit of that dross dust on you and... And not a thing that God has said in your lifetime has ever overcome that. Nothing. The same things that had you then, have you now. That's called dross. And that renders you ineffective, unsuitable, unuseful. And we can prove that in Scripture. And it appears that in Scripture, there's not a lot of people who in these last days will qualify to be useful to the Lord. Have you found Malachi 3 yet? Look at verse 2 and 3. Who may abide the day of his coming? You would agree with me that he is coming back. Who may abide the day of his coming? And when he comes back, it is stated that prior to his coming, he has been doing something. Let's read it. But who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appears? For he is like, he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Fire melts and the soap is what cleanses, obviously. That's what he's like. Just as I am, I come to you. He says, come to me. I'm a refiner. I am a refiner. I'm going to refine you because when you come to me, you're just a chunk of ore. You're not useful at all. I can't even use you as a doorstop because I might walk past the door and hit you with my ankle and hurt my ankle. That's the kind of work you do in the church. I mean, excuse me. You're not real useful. I can't hang you around the neck because you're too heavy and cumbersome. And if you got real excited, you'd bounce up and you'd cut yourself because there's just too many old jagged edges on this thing. Oh, I got what I wanted. When they brought you to me, whenever you came to the Lord and I broke your heart and gave you repentance and you came to me, you're what I wanted. I chose you out of the miry clay. I brought you to me a chunk of ore. Now, I want you to know because very few Christians apparently ever learned this. Now that you're here, don't get all excited. Oh, I'm here. I'm here. Woo. I'm a movie star. Make me a deacon. No, 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 no. We're going to make you a pupil. There's so much about you that's awful. Those little things I said a while ago, things that rule us. God won't rule. Those little things rule. You ever heard of a church split? I've been in one of them. Let me tell you something. In a church split, the devil wins. Now, it's like I said, I've been there. When a church splits... All the things you've been taught that don't please God is what people do because they are ruled by those things. They never got rid of them. They were in the service where we addressed or where they were addressed the idea of cleansing and purity and overcoming. But when it comes down to your personal feelings being attacked, boy, it just comes out and we're teaming up and 
one side has this side and one side sits over here and we don't talk anymore. We're just trying to get our way. That is as ugly as sin. Christians do it all the time and you get in there and try to tell them what you're doing is sin. They will kick you all the way out. It's not Christian. What if I was to tell you, I'm not sure those people are Christian. Christians don't act like that. Christians are capable of acting like that. But all of that stuff is a carryover from the world. That's the way we were in the world. That's the way most people still are. There's only age any of us have ever lived in is this one. But I was going to say, have you ever seen an age as angry as this one is? People are just mad and angry all the time. Everybody's upset. Their flesh is ruling. They're mastered by anger. They're mastered by their feelings. And when my feelings are hurt or I'm misunderstood or I didn't get my way, you just come out. Ugh! Then you go to church and because you got a good heart. I mean, that dross came with you to the Lord, but you have a good heart. And you hear that those things aren't acceptable to God and then it bothers you. You may even weep over it or, oh, God. But you got to know this, that is what rules your life. It rules your money. It rules your time. It rules your attitude. It rules everything about you. That stuff that you learned in the world that you brought to the Lord. Now, Jesus, the Bible said, is the one whose job it is to change all that. The great change came when he put a new nature in you. Are you with me? He put a new heart within you and he lifted you up out of the miry clay and he gave you an awareness of himself. You knew that you were saved. You knew that. You even knew that you need to learn. You even knew that you need to go to church. You knew that you should sing. You knew that you should give. You know a lot of things just inherently. But God gets down in there to those deeper recesses, those closets in our life we don't want anybody touching and fooling with. He begins dragging up things. That person who molested you as a little girl, you must forgive them. That man who molested you when you were a little boy, you must forgive. You must forgive. Just as Jesus said to the people that were killing him, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If they knew who I was, they wouldn't be doing that. They'd be worshiping me, but they don't know that. So God begins to teach us so that we can know things that ought to convict us and things that ought to bother us and things that ought to cause us to deal with things. So this is what Jesus does. This is what the great refiner does. He brings us to himself. It doesn't say it like this, but this is what happens. He says, now... I want to be your Lord and your master. Don't call me Lord, Lord, if I'm not. I want to be the one who is in charge of your life by your consent. I'm not going to force myself on you to make you do what I want. I want you to do what I want you to do, but I want you to be willing to do it. I want you to yield yourself to me and let me be Lord of your life because you're mine. I bought you with a price. I paid a price to purchase you. I broke your heart and then you asked me to be Lord of your life and I'm willing to. 
Now you think that's easy. You think that's just going to church. But let me tell you something. This is a life you live. Now I'm going to begin showing you what it means for me to live and for you to die. I'm going to begin showing you what it means for me to increase and you to decrease. I'm going to begin showing you what it means to die to self and the power of a cross in your life that you're going to be willing to carry to crucify your flesh with its affections and its lust. I'm going to show you that. And I'm the great refiner and I'm going to turn the heat up because I'm after something. One thing about silver, silver in its purest form is faith. Remember what Peter wrote once? That the trial of your faith might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus. Remember that? It is in the Bible. First Peter 1, 7. He said that the trying of your faith might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus. We're in Malachi 3, aren't we? All right, put your favorite finger there and go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 so we can make this point. Verse 6, because he said we're kept by the power of God through faith, wherein you rejoice though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through many kinds of trials, that the trying of your faith, now notice, notice about faith here, which is more precious than gold that perisheth, even though it be tried or tested by fire, might be found to result unto praise, honor, and glory when? At the appearing of Jesus, when he comes back. Now, would you agree with me before we go on that Jesus is coming back for a refined people? He chose unrefined people. He saved. I can talk for myself. Maybe you all, when he saved you, you were ready. Man, I wouldn't. He chose me ugly as I could be. That's why my mind has to be renewed. That's why we have to overcome and carry a cross is because we weren't perfect. We were so imperfect. We were ruled by all these things I've been talking about. But he brought us to him. He begins doing a work. He shows us how lazy we are and how much we don't even hardly try to seek the kingdom. We just like to sing songs about it. And he says, you're not even trying. Lazy rules you. You're ruled by lazy. Lazy said, don't get up. You say, okay, I won't. <laughs> lazy said, you don't have to pray right now. Okay, I won't. Lazy says, oh, no. You say, okay, I won't. Because it's your master. But you do other things, so therefore you think you're all right, but you're ruled by lazy. He's your master. And in this verse, he said, Jesus is coming back looking for faith. He said that in Luke 18, 8, but he's looking for somebody whose faith has been tested. That the testing of your faith is more precious than what? Even though gold is tested by fire, your faith is going to be tested. And you know how important it is that it be tested and it be refined and made right? Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now go back to Malachi 3. 
So this testing and refining and improving upon and this smelter and refiner and the work that he's doing, this is a work of refining. Take trials. I had you turn away too fast, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, you don't have to go back there. He talks about, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which are to try you as though something strange has happened to you. Think it not strange, church. Now that you come to the Lord and you're going to heaven and we're going to be on the other side marching to Zion, woo, glory. Okay. Now in the meantime, think it not strange, unusual, if you be tested by fiery trials, trials that are like fire, trials that bring stuff to the surface. They tell me in my research about smelters, it's interesting study about that stuff, but when you put the ore in there and you heat it to the appropriate temperature, it begins to move a little bit and the stuff that comes to the surface is called scum. It's the stuff that made it impure. That's called dross. And the finer or the smelter very carefully gets that off of there and he throws a dross over here. It's, it's just a waste product. It's useless. It's good for nothing. There's no use for that stuff unless you put it in toothpaste. And you do your own research about that. That's why they say don't swallow the stuff. Well, anyway, aluminum byproducts are in there. Yeah, I, I do. I use it. But anyway, God begins to do this work. And these fiery trials begin to make me realize how weak I am. Man, I give into that all the time. You know, I look at the clock and it says, it's, I mean, it's 6.30 in the morning, but it said, okay, I want you to get up and pray. And something says, no, don't do that. And you say, okay, all right, man, I won't. Something that Jesus is going to keep heating up until you finally begin to get the message. Whatever it is he's saying, whatever it is that he's telling you, this is the way I want you to do it. Because these trials expose you and me. I don't know what you think. I've been here, so I'm not looking down at you, but what do we think when we fail? Boy, you got that close. The trial might have been just one more hour. And you say, I, I just can't take this. This ain't going to work for me. And off you go and you get fixed or do something else or get out of this or hire somebody or something. I mean, we got close. We walked a little way, but does the failure mean we're unsaved? No, but it means you've been exposed. Did you notice how easy it was to give up? Did you notice how easy it was to quit? When quit rules you, all you have to do is quit. No effort, just quit. Just, I ain't gonna sit there and listen to him talk for an hour and a half. Then don't. Don't. I don't need somebody to talk to me for two hours. You need somebody to talk to you for days. There's enough stuff in there that stuff that said what you just said. You're ruled, but I don't need that. The Bible has words for that. 
rejection, rebellion. But these things begin to show us just how much we're ruled by stuff year after year after year while we keep crying, keep complaining, keep whining about this or that. We ought to be rejoicing. I don't know, little old Bill, we've been that leaky old thing. Aren't you glad we got a place to meet? How many times, how many times has God been in this room talking to us? How many times have we been ministered to with his word or convictions of some sort? Just quit crying and start rejoicing. What if you were ruled by rejoicing? What if you turned your frown upside down? You know what you look like? You'd be like a smiley face. Oh, you know it's going to be gloomy tomorrow, but you know what tomorrow? I'm going to step outside tomorrow while the wind's blowing and the rain's coming and they're threatening nine feet of snow. I'm going to say, I'm going to enjoy this day today because I am ruled by the Lord and not by circumstances. My faith is embracing the fact that if God said it, God will do it. Now, I'm going to render him to be my Lord. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to be faithful. Ah, silver is coming forth because fears are beginning to dissipate and fall away. Fear no longer can rule you. You're no longer scared of it. Because something in my heart, like a stream running free, makes me feel so happy, so happy I get free. You begin to think of Jesus and all he's done for me. Something in my heart like a stream running free. You're changing. You change because you saw your need to change. You get tired of just being down all the time and gloomy all the time and, and grumpy all the time and complaining all the time. And you know that none of that's Christian. None of it's inspired by the Lord. And you knew that you got to deal with it because that's the refiner leaning on you said, look, if you don't deal with this, I'm never going to be able to use you. And what will I say to you at the end? You got to get it right. Turn to 2 Timothy 2 and then we'll be here probably the rest of the morning. While the word dross is not in the New Testament, this is the probably the principle of it here in 2 Timothy 2. Seems like we go to 2 Timothy 2 a lot anymore. Yeah, same old, same old. Well, good. Let's do that again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. But in a great house, let's call it a great vessel. You're a vessel, you're a house. In a great house are not only vessels of gold and silver, those are good things, but wood and earth, some things are honorable and some things are dishonorable. Now, if a man, therefore, would purge himself from these, now, obviously, the these are not honor. It'd be the dishonor. If a man would purge himself from these, he shall be, and he shall be a what? Now, that vessel goes back to where we started this message this morning. There shall come forth a vessel 
for the finer. A vessel shall come forth. When there is a refining work, a vessel comes forth. A vessel was brought to the Lord, and out of that which was brought, a vessel comes forth if the work that God wants to do in it is submitted to. A vessel. He shall be, verse 21, he shall be a vessel. Does your Bible say shall be? If it says shall be, then there's a process in there. Something happens here that brings us over here. He shall be. It's not like you are, but it says you shall be. If you want to be, then you've got to submit yourself to what he said. He said, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. That's one. Sanctified. That's two. Meat for the master's use, that's three, and prepared unto every good work. He shall be. Listen to this translation. Again, I don't promote translation, but some of them say things in their translations that, yeah, that's what he's saying. He said, if a man makes himself clean from these, clean being purged, if a man makes himself clean from these, he will be a vessel for honor made holy, ready for the master's use, and ready for every good work. It seems to me like there is a process here. You start with honor. Honor. When he talks about honor, he talks about something that God does. And then honor leads to separation. And then separation leads to usefulness. And then usefulness leads to the actual work because you're ready to do this now. Isn't that amazing? Now listen to what I say, and I don't take this wrong, that before a person is useful to the Lord on his terms, he goes through the process that the refiner puts him through. That just because you came to the Lord doesn't mean you're useful to the Lord. Because you're going to do things you think ought to be done, or that the church told you it ought to be done, or some system told you it ought to be done, without realizing that you can go out there and do all the works you want to do and still deny the Lord. That's Titus 1.16. We'll get to that before we close, I think. If a man will purge himself. When you think of purge, think of purify. Now, it's something not only that God does, but he says, here's something I must do. But remember this. God does not force himself upon you. God simply shows you what he wants you to do. It's his work. Are you willing to cooperate? And submit to that work. That change, that recognition of your weaknesses and your flaws. Are you willing to put your hand to the plow and put that stuff behind you and overcome it? This is the Lord's work. But you've got to be willing. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 119, he said, if you are willing and obedient, you should eat the good of the land. The good of the land is provided for you by the Lord. But you've got to be willing to eat it on his terms. The way he wants you to. And he wants you to purge yourself. Now, purging is that work we don't like. It's that cleansing daily work of the refiner. We don't like it. We know that in the end, like chastisement, chasing, no chasing for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when chasing has done its work, we will be glad. 
Because, oh, praise God, now I won't be judged for that stuff. All right, now, concerning purging, purification. What motivates me? What's going to motivate you to cleanse ourselves? Is it just the word of the Lord says this is the way you walk in? Well, okay, I'll do it. Or is it something a little stronger than that? The thing that's going to motivate you has to be something that comes from God. Because you're not capable of motivating yourself to do what God wants without him, first of all, telling you what it is and how to do it. This is the work of God. You know what motivates you? The coming of the Lord. Let me show you 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3. The coming of the Lord. John writes it this way. Verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but this we know, or we know that when he shall appear, this third time now we've talked about his coming, we know this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Does it say that? Would to God there was more force in those words in our hearts, all of us, all of us. That the idea of the bride making herself ready, getting yourself uh, pleasing so that he will accept you. You see, right now we're engaged. The wedding hasn't taken place yet. We're engaged. The great wedding will come. The bridegroom will come. And all who are ready go in, don't they? All those that were ready, Matthew 25, will go in if they're ready. And the bride makes herself ready. How does she do that? She's told what he wants. She loves him. She begins to do the things that he wants her to do. We know that he doesn't want this. I don't want to stand before God with that because how could he say, well done, thou good and faithful piece of, I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, servant, if he says do this and I'm just not willing to do it. I've got to, I want to go to heaven. I want to be serious about this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's telling you he's coming back. And me. And he's coming back for the kind of a bride that would please him. Many are called. But not all of them are chosen. Whew. So what's going to motivate me then? Well, verse 3. And every man, whoever you and I, every woman, whoever you are, every man that has this hope within themselves purifies himself. Does your Bible say that? So purging and purifying, we're talking about the same thing. Every man who is inspired, convicted, has the fear of God, Knowing that when he comes, he is expecting and looking for a certain thing. You better be there and you better be ready. God wants you to be and you can be. All of us can be. He said, then you want to make your heart ready. You want to get ready. Because every man that has this hope within himself purchases himself. Now hope, what's hope? Hope is looking forward to what's coming. Faith is the substance 
of things that haven't happened yet. Are you with me? Faith has to do with things that are not seen, not things that are seen or that have happened. If you say, I believe it, if I would see it, well, that's crazy. You wouldn't believe it. If you saw it, you'd know it. You got to believe it if you haven't seen it. You got to believe it. Hope. Paul writes of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. His coming as our blessed hope, looking for our blessed hope and the soon appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. That's what we're looking forward to. We call that our hope, that he is coming. And the question is, will he be coming for you? Oh, God, no wonder there's fear and trembling in the Bible. Lord, may I tighten up. I need to tighten up, Lord, because I want to be ready when Jesus comes. Hope. Another translation says, every man that has his hope within him purifies himself. This translation says, we are certain that at his revelation, we will be like him. <clears throat> Do we still sing that song? To be like Jesus. All I ask, the only thing I really want is just to be like him. Paul said in Philippians 3, you know, I, I, the only thing I want is to know him, what he went through, and to be conformed to that. That's all I want. The Old Testament, Solomon said, you know, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than to sit on the mightiest throne. There is something about how God affects some people. They just can't get over him. They make him boss. They're irritated at their weaknesses, but he shows them what to do with it, and they're willing to do it no matter what. We think they're a little extreme, maybe legalistic, a little too dogmatic because we like our worldly liberties because that's our dross. But some people say you can't get through a narrow gate carrying all that junk with you. You've got to get rid of that stuff. Look at Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Is this you looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ? Is Jesus God? Say he's a great God. But what does he say in verse 12, preceding that? Teaching us that denying ungodliness Whatever that is defined in your heart and however the Lord shows you that and worldly lust. Oh, Lord, we need to get on our knees. Teaching us that denying this kind of dross, denying that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, in closing this morning in the last phase of our message, go back to 2 Timothy 2 where we started 2 Timothy chapter 2, in a great house, they're not only this and not only that. But notice, if a man will purge himself, in verse 21, from these things, the Bible said he will be, she will be a vessel. And notice what it says, because this is what the Lord wants. This is what the refiner's work brings us to. A vessel unto honor. 
The word honor means respect, esteem, that even God can look upon you with esteem and honor you with his presence and his blessing. Finding you the way he wants you to be, he honors you. Secondly, sanctified. The word sanctified comes from two words. The English word sanctified comes from saint, from which we get saint, or literally, to make holy. And vacation or sanctification means the process of. And again, it's a picture of what God himself does by the great refiner, Jesus Christ. The process of taking what is not holy in its lifestyle is not obedient in the way it hears from God always, but he begins to do a work of holiness in this person's life. Now, I do believe this about sanctification. I don't want to get off onto this. I believe we are all sanctified when we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. When God attaches his name to us and makes you his property, you're holy. That doesn't mean you're holy in your operation, but with regard to God having ownership of you, attaching himself to you, making you his, seating you in his heavenly places, you are holy. Because you are set apart from the world unto God for his use. And thus we get from sanctification, separation. When the Bible says, come out from among them, and essentially said, be sanctified. You do that. You make a decision to come out from among them and be separate and to be what he wants you to be. It's a word which describes what you do when you consecrate yourself to God. When you devote your time to God, you devote your life to God, your resources, whatever, all that is about you, all that the Almighty has given you, you just say, the Lord is all yours. My life, my time, my energy, my body, my home, everything I have is yours. I thank you for all of it. I do every day. I thank God, especially every morning for blessing me. Never take that lightly that I deserve it or that I'm worthy of it. I was neither. I thank God every morning for my salvation. I thank God every morning for my bowl of cereal. I didn't eat cereal on Sunday mornings or Wednesday mornings, but I do on the rest of the week. I give God thanks. It's just a time. It's quiet. I give God thanks and I reflect at a time of prayer, thanking God for all the the good way he's led me these years and how many times attempted to quit and give up, follow a crowd to my doom and how that you've had this willingness in your life to be separate. If I have to walk alone, I'm willing to. If I have to walk by myself with no friends like Jeremiah, I'm willing those are hard tests. Very few people have ever had to go through that. But every Christian is told to come out from among the world and be separate. Whether they do or not, whether they feel, I just can't do that, then you're weak. And how can God use a weak vessel? He couldn't send you somewhere. There's some heat and some difficulty because you'll quit. If you quit now in a land of peace, you'll quit when the Jordan overflows. If you've run with the footmen and they've worried you, then you won't be able to contend with horses. You're too weak. 
You give up too easy. You make too many excuses. You satisfy yourself with your excuses and you displease God. That's dross. This is the trash and the junk, the impurity that follows us around. It keeps us from being sanctified. The other word in 2 Timothy 2, 21 is the word meat. Now, meat is spelled M-E-E-T. If you have another translation or a center column, it probably says something like serviceable, profitable, or useful. Am I getting this right if I say that if we will purge and purify and cleanse ourselves, if we with our faith will be faithful to God to live on his terms, we will be honorable, that we will be sanctified, set apart for God's use, and that we'll be useful to the Lord. What if I said this? The people that God is going to use are not religious people doing religious things, but the people that have a mind for the Lord and are tuned in and can hear his word in their hearts. You know, we could organize a church system here and do traditionally what churches do. And forget about all this other stuff. And when anybody dies, we'll say, oh, he was there, she was there, and we went through, they gave and did and all this kind of stuff. But would you agree with me that the work that God is doing is a work on the inside? Changing the way you live, the way you think? Sometimes you can't sit in a dead system. You can't stay where there's deadness. Because when you begin to want to live and live on God's terms, you offend people that don't want to do that. They're held back by something, but you're getting free. Your cage has been opened, and boy, the silver is shining, and out flows the silver. Woo! And people are offended by that. I've been there. They're offended by that. And that's why we have to separate ourselves from that. You better believe that. Your Bible says, not mine. Well, mine does too, thank God. Mine does too. The Bible says, if they have a form, if they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it, you separate yourself from them. If a brother walks disorderly and not according to the principles which he has been taught, stay away from them. Don't let that dross get back around you. Well, they're going to talk about me as being just independent. I've had that title hung around my neck. Independent. Oh, he's independent. He doesn't run with us. You know why I didn't run with him and, and the, kind of let the word out? I can't run with you because I can't walk with you. We're going two different directions. We're not serving the same thing that God, I believe, is saying. I cannot allow myself, I cannot allow myself to be bogged down with another man's admiration just so I can be his friend and be a nice guy. Sometimes the test is, will you come out from among them and be separate? And if you will, God said, I can use you because I know who's Lord of your life. And the fourth thing he said in 2 Timothy 2, verse 21, prepared for every good work. 
Did you know that you were created in Christ Jesus under good works? God created you for good works. He didn't say you're saved if you do good works. He didn't say work saved you. But he didn't say if you have faith, you won't work. They go together. Good would not be just works that I dream up and think that are noble and of high regard, but works that God wants. This is what I want you to do. Hamilton, I want you to... How do you say it? Pastor, a church. There was a time in my life, if he had said that, you talk about Jonah getting in trouble, I would have probably met him. (laughs) Pastor, uh -uh. there's no way on God's green earth that I will ever pastor a church. Never. Just as I am. Bang. I can say this. For all the men that I have known throughout my life and travels, I've known a bunch of them that were trying to get a pulpit. I like to visit them, but I wasn't about to stay in any of them. Y'all want too much. You want too much. You know what it's like to speak twice a week to the same people for 30 years? You know, there's a chance you hear the same sermon twice. (laughs) And there's times you have to press in, God, what am I supposed to say? I don't know how many times, if God ever showed us on the other side of this wall, how many times I have sat at that desk several times on a Saturday and said, I don't know what to say and then get about half ugly. And I thought, I can't let ugly rule. And then sometimes God said, you waste so much time and you're so busy running around, fooling around, that the time you do that, if you'd spit with me, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying now. Could he say that? Sometime I come to church and I'm not, not getting anything about it. Well, God could say, if the preacher didn't first. Well, if you took enough time, if you would take five minutes of your spectacularly involved day and just take five minutes and say, Lord, refresh my heart, open my heart and mind, give me words tonight that I need to hear, make me to hear what I need to hear. Cause me to hear thy loving Lord, make me to hear. And Lord, I need, and Lord, I pray for this, I pray for, I pray for the preacher, and I pray for the meeting. I only prayed 30 seconds, I said all that. Five minutes. How am I going to get through five minutes? I just, 30 seconds, I said everything I know. It's like there's going to make some radio tapes once. I may never forget this. The first tape for the radio station was my testimony an introduction to the radio program. And the next tape, maybe it's a 30-minute program. I got through about half of it. I was talking about faith. Now, faith, I've talked about faith for 30 years. I said everything I knew in about 10 minutes. And I was looking at the microphone, and my friend John McCain was waiting on me to say something because he was recording all this. And I said, uh, that's all I got, John. I don't know anything. He hit the button. He said, you can't say that. (laughs) That's all I I got. Well, it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. 
Now, I could have pressed in and say, oh, all preachers get on the radio. All of us get on the radio. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. My radio best stay in my dash. I don't need a microphone in front of me. But I'm just saying, folks, dross is a terrible thing because it hangs on us like an old garment. It defies God. It makes us to be satisfied with a religious system. I turn to Titus, the next book to your right, turn to Titus, and we will commence closing. Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are defiled, just don't want to let go. And unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Look at verse 16. Is this true today? Will this be true at the judgment bar? They profess that they know God. Oh yeah, I know the Lord. But in what they do, their works, they deny him. Now let me ask you a question. Let's be honest. Let's rightly divide this. Do their works betray them because their works aren't ordered by the Lord, but just things a Christian, a good Christian ought to do this or do that? That's their works? I think so. He said, in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and into every good work reprobate. Boy, I don't have time to deal with those three words, but that's three words there that tell us what dross does to people. Abomination, you can be sure that whatever is abominable to God, he will judge it and reject it. It is of no value to God. The Bible speaks of a lot of people as being an abomination, being abominable to God. The detestable, profane, unholy. And he said they are disobedient. You know the word disobedient comes from the same family words from which we get the word believe. And the word believe, in a simple definition of believe, is willingness to be persuaded. That is, if God is speaking and he says, this is the way walking in it, it means I am willing to do so, to be persuaded to do. That's what the word believe means. Unbelief, our word here, or it's called disobedient, but unbelief is the same word. Unbelief means I am not willing to do that. I'm not willing to walk that way. I'm not willing to let go that much. I'm just not ready for that. I don't think I'm capable. It's too hot, too far, too young, too old, too fast, too slow, too something. And because they're doing all these other church things, they're doing all these other works in the church and the circles and the missionaries and all, they do all these other things, but deep inside they don't want to do what God is saying for them to do. They don't want to cleanse themselves. They profess to know God, but the way they live and talk and yap, they deny the Lord. They deny Him. They become abominable and then to every good work, Reprobate. 
Reprobate means corrupt. Now in closing, this is the close. No more after this. Turn to the middle of your Bible to the right, Jeremiah chapter 6. This is what God said to his people in the end. In verse 28, they're all grievous revolters, God said about his people. They walk with slanderers. They listen to gossip. They join in all this yakety yak. They're just brass and iron. They're all corruptors. There's nothing in there that is beauty. There's no silver there. So the bellows are blown. That's what makes the fire come. The lead is consumed of the fire. It's not refined, it's just consumed. The founder smelteth in vain, for the wicked are not plucked away. You know what they are, verse 30? Reprobate silver. Reprobate silver. All they do is bear thorns and briars, and the Lord has rejected them. Young's literal translation says, In vain hath a refiner refined, and the wicked have not been drawn away. Let me say it again, so I'm close. Jesus, the great refiner, doesn't make you mind, make you obey him. He strongly impresses that strong anointing, that great conviction you sensed and you heard it where I started this message. You know better. You heard things. Something in your heart troubles you about things. That's the work of the refiner. But the actual coming forth of a refined product means you have to purge yourself. You've got to cave into that. Give into it. Make the right choices. And if you won't, Looks like to me, folks, there's a whole lot of religion today that is reprobate silver. It's not something God did. It's not something that pleases God or honors God. It honors a man. It honors a system. It honors a movement, but not God. It's reprobate silver. God deliver us from such a thing ever being referred to in our life like that. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we came here today because we wanted to. We chose to come here. We made it a point to be in this room this morning. We have engaged ourselves with what you've said. We've heard what you said to us personally, not what the preacher said, but what you said too. We're aware of our shortcomings and our weaknesses, all of us. We're made aware again this morning of how long-suffering you are and how gracious and good and kind you are to us, not willing that any of us should perish, but willing that the work you want done, that we will be willing to let it happen. May it be so, Lord, that you find people here that have a heart to do that. So that when Jesus does come and he does return, he will look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Heavenly Father, it could not be better than that. Any price we pay for that to happen is worth it. Help us, O Lord, I ask in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.